It's Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, until 20, verse 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of god and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he, call, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him 
so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Rachel, thanks so much for reading the passage. Yes. Give me a second as I put myself on spotlight. Okay. Um, one of the, the surprise benefits of uh, being in lockdown and being on Zoom is breakout groups. And I think I have had more time to chat to know, uh, chat to different individuals to get to know you. I remember being in one room, I wouldn't say who it is, uh, and I I was hearing your sharings on the book of Revelation. And this individual said, oh, Revelation has been really interesting and captivating, but it's also really scary. Uh, you have dragons, you have beasts, and there's a real strong call to, to fight. And, and this individual said, well, well, partly there's a part of me that wishes I, I didn't know. Uh, you can't unknow what you already heard. And, you know, we can empathize with that. You know, the book of Revelation, it puts things in black and white. And there's a really strong call to, to witness unto death. And it can be really scary. And so if you are following on the, the handout today, you can see that the question we are going to consider this lunchtime is this. Well, is it worth joining in the fight? Is it worth following the path of the land who was slain. Uh, handout, if you need to access it, should be in the email. Um, do send me a message in the chat if you don't have it. Um, but if you do follow along um, in the handout, it will help you to follow along. And so the question we consider, is it worth it uh, to join in the fight when we look at the state of this country? Um, and are we scared as we think about it? Um, are we scared about the increasing secularization of this nation? Uh, you think about the past decade, right? Atheism on the rise. What did that mean for Christianity? Well, Christianity then was archaic. But how about the current times? See, identity politics is on the rise. And now Christian, Christianity well, becomes evil. And how about um, your workplaces? Um, there, there are pre there's pressure to remain silent on hot-button issues. Or perhaps you might be worried about your children uh, growing up in this environment. And what does it mean for them? Well, is it worth joining in the fight?
Well, the beauty of God's word is that he, he speaks into our souls. He knows our anxieties and he wants to, to assure us today that, yes, it is worth it. It is worth joining in the fight, uh, to join the lamb who was slain, uh, to witness unto death. You see, it was worth it for the original readers who, who faced Rome uh, with the economic, military, political might. And so it's also worth it for, for us, even as we face the issues of our day. Well, is it worth it? God wants to say, yes. Well, we are in the tail end of Revelation, if you've been following along in this series. And the, the beauty of these last few chapters in the book of Revelation is that it's full of encouragement. So if you're feeling a little worn out, you're feeling a bit anxious of life and you need some encouragement, uh, keep coming each week. Uh, there'll be much words of encouragement from our Heavenly Father. And so for the next section uh, from chapter 19, verse 5 to 21, verse 8, uh, we'll tackle this section over two weeks, even this week and next week. And there are quite a few tricky bits in this section, and we'll try to understand it together. Uh, if you're there on the handout, um, we, I put a structure down for you to follow. Uh, does, anyone have a, does anyone not have the handout? Um, just shake your head. Okay, I'm going to assume that everyone has the handout. No, okay, let me, let me put it in the chat if that's helpful, uh, because I do think the, um, having the handout today is quite helpful. Ooh, how'd I do this? Rachel, do you want to try? You can drop it in, in the chat. Okay, Rachel is going to try if she can drop the handout in the chat. Okay, so um, if you can, you can see the handout in, in front of you. Oh, I think I can put it up. Just give me a second. So we are sort of trying things out on, on Zoom today in the Swiss church, so, so bear with us. Okay, there you go. Okay, so I've put what I think is the structure of this, um, this section of the book of Revelation um, on there on the handout. And two things to observe. Firstly, notice that there are two battle scenes. Okay, in chapter 19, verse 17 to 21, and chapter 20, verse 7 to 10. And both battle scenes, I've described them as the last battle. Uh, why? Because both passages, they, they draw on this last day battle scene in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, they, they both draw on the same passage in the book of Ezekiel. It's the last battle before the end of the world. But both battles in the book of Revelation, they draw on from the same passage. And so there's going to be implications for how we understand the in-between um, chapters 20, verse 1 to 6, a thousand years. But I'll say more on that later. But for now, just notice that there are two battle scenes. Okay, the next question is, well, why are there battle scenes? Um, and the answer is because the overarching narrative is a love story. It's a romantic love story. Now look at the opening section, uh, chapter 19, verse 7. Now let us rejoice and exult and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, move over to, flip over to chapters 21 to verse 2. Chapter 21, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Have uh, you notice what's going on? It's a love story. Uh, the bride is his people. The bridegroom is Jesus. I think that explains why the battle is necessary. Uh, last week, when I was walking back from Tesco with my wife, Matilda, uh, we were walking on the pavement, and in the distance, I saw about four or five unruly men on, I think it was deregulated electric scooters. Okay, they were going faster than 25 km power for sure. And they had this big boombox in the back, uh, you know, like, um, blasting um, dark music in the background and they were going really really fast and then for some unknown reason a one clown had decided it would be a good idea to try to jump the curb of the pavement that we were walking on and the the, the unfortunate thing was oh he didn't make the jump uh, he hit the pavement and he almost came crashing into my wife and what I do, I, I try to pull her away to defend her. And then I, I mustered my loudest and lowest voice. And I said, excuse me. Uh, to be fair, he was quite apologetic and he apologized. Uh, but you see, if it was intentional, okay, if he was out to hurt my wife, to, to trample on her, see, I will defend her. See, if I love her, I will protect her. And so that is why there's a battle scene in this part of Revelation. For those who trample on the bride, who mock, who mistreat, who ridicule her, uh, they must be crushed. He will defend his bride. If he loves her, he will protect her. And so if you are following the handout, uh, we are there on point number one. Our hero arrives. Uh, you can hear the crowds cheering in the background as John, he sees his vision. I look at verse 11 of chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. You see, it's the bridegroom, but he's not only a bridegroom, he's also a warrior. Notice his, his character. He's someone who is faithful and true. See, we reversed last week. You saw the marriage between the beast and the prostitute. Uh, it was a marriage of convenience. It was based on lies. Um, it, was, it was out of a transactional relationship. And how did the relationship end? Well, the beast devoured the prostitute. And that's what it looks like to, to have a marriage with the world. Uh, it's transactional. And eventually, it will not go well. But look at this rider on the white horse. He is faithful. He is loyal. He's devoted to his bride. 
he is true. And he comes to judge and to make war. He comes to make war on those who have made war on his bride, the saints. And he knows that his bride is hurting. How does he know? Look at verse 12. Um, his eyes are like flame of fire. You see, this rider on the white horse, he, he sees everything. Uh, he sees the damage being done to his church. He knows where she is hurting, uh, the physical pain, the beatings, the torture, or the emotional hurt, the, the mocking, the ridicule, the jeering, the fear, the worry, the anxiousness, the pain that she experiences caused by others. And so this, this bridegroom, the rider on the white horse, he sees, uh, he sees it all. And how about his clothing? Now look at verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And you might think that's a bit strange. See, the battle hasn't even started yet, but it's already dipped in blood. And the reason is because it's his own blood. See, this warrior, he is still the lamb who was slain. He is the lamb who was slain, who is coming to save his people. So it's not as if he is transforming from someone who is meek and mild to vengeful. This is him, the lamb, who is completing his salvation of the bride. He's both meek and mild and strong and courageous at the same time. And look at how he fights. I look at verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to which he will strike down the nations. Can you remember what was Satan's main weapon? Well, it was lies, deception, blasphemy. But this hero who comes, his main weapon is, is truth, a sword which comes from his mouth. But who is he? He is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the white rider on the white horse, the saviour of the bride. I wonder whether some of you are embarrassed about this warrior image of Jesus. You know, he's not very caring, he's not very loving, he's not very kind. But that's wrong. See, I, I show that I'm, I'm caring, loving, and kind when I protect my wife from a scooter-riding ruffian. And in the same way, Jesus is only caring, kind, and loving when he protects his bride. His protection of her is his love for her. So I asked at the start, is it worth joining in the fight even though things seem quite scary? And the answer is yes. See, this is your savior who, who fights for you. He is meek and mild and loving towards you. But he is strong and mighty against those who are evil. Well, what does he do to, to those who, um, who trample on his bride? And that's where we come to point number two. Uh, he will crush. He will crush those who trample on her. I look to verse 17. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both slave and free, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds gorged with their flesh. Well, immediately we are confronted by a really gruesome picture in this passage. And there can be a temptation to to apologize for, for what we're seeing here. But my encouragement to you is that there is nothing to apologize about. Uh, Firstly, the language of birds eating the flesh, well, it comes right out of Ezekiel chapter 39. And as mentioned earlier, that is the the last day battle against God's enemies, uh, namely evil nations, Gog and Magog. And these evil nations, they, they commit atrocities against God's people. And it's right for them to be crushed. And notice who is it here who gets crushed in our passage. Um, it's the two beasts, uh, the first beast and his false prophet. Uh, it's the two beasts who abuse the bride, who, who trample on the saints, who lie and deceive the world, not because they love people and the nations, but because they hate God and they want to take others down with them. And notice the men who are also crushed. They are not innocent people. They are those who have gathered with the beast, verse 19. They have made alliance with the beast. They are the the men who have faced multiple warnings in the book of Revelation, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of warnings, and a call to repent. But they don't. They harden themselves They they join forces with the beast to mock, to mistreat, to trample on the bride. And so it's right for them to be crushed. Well, it's it's worth trying to get our heads around uh, this idea of God's love and his judgment. And it is true that God loves the world. Uh, He longs for the nations to repent and to come to him. You think about how the book of Revelation describes that. A few times in the book of Revelation, the end of the world was meant to come. But what happened? God, he, he put it on hold so as to allow more of the nations to come in. So God, he loves the world and he puts the world on hold in order for the nations to come in. But it's also true that he, he loves his son and he loves those who love his son and those who reject his love, who hate his son, who trample on his people, well, he, he must punish them. To Jesus, he must crush those who trample on his bride. 
And so I asked again at the start, is it worth joining in? Well, the answer is yes. <clears throat> yes, because there will be justice on those who trample on his bride. I think about what the beast represents, secular nations or empires against God. And there will be justice. But there will also be justice for those who make alliances with the beast, who have premeditated their persecution of his people, whether physical or emotional. Uh, there will be justice. And there's no doubt about the, the outcome. Uh, Jesus, he will win. I look to verse 17. Uh, the angel, he, he calls to the birds to come and gather for the great supper of God. Uh, the call to the birds to come happens before the war. Um, he's so confident that he will win. Jesus will win. So is it worth it? Well, the answer is yes. He will crush those who trample on his bride. Well, and what does it mean for his bride? Well, lastly, in point number three, is so that she will reign with him. Uh, chapters 20, verse 1 to 6, as some of you may know, are hotly debated verses. Not because they are hard to understand. Uh, the narrative is very clear. Verse 1 to 3, what happens? The, the devil, uh, the dragon, Satan, is bound for a thousand years. Verse 4 to 6, uh, the saints, now look at verse 4, the saints who were martyred for the faith, uh, they were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Satan bound, the saints who were martyred reigned. The narrative is, is very straightforward. Uh, the difficulty that people have is asking, well, what does it mean for us? Two questions, I think, come up. One is a literal thousand years. And secondly... But when does this actually happen? Uh, to the first question, is this a literal thousand years? Uh, I want to suggest that it's not. Uh, the time in Revelation, in the vision, uh, tends not to be literal. Uh, think about the beast. Uh, they were given 42 months, or if you like, 3.5 years to trample on the saints uh, back in chapter 11 and chapter 12. And by that, it's not a literal time frame. Uh, the bees, they've been trampling on the saints for a long period of time. But the thousand years, so likewise, the thousand years is not a literal time frame. But why is it a thousand years? Well, it's really significant because it points to the fact that the reign of the saints, it far exceeds that of the beast, 3.5 years. A thousand years far exceeds 3.5 years. So the saints will reign for much longer time. So I suggest it's not literal. But the next question is, well, when does this happen? A two, sorry, large school of thought. Um, you have it happening in the future. And the, the technical term for that is pre-millennialism. Or some people suggest that it's happening now. And that is described as a millennial. Uh, personally, uh, I'm persuaded that it describes <clears throat> the period now. Uh, why? 
Uh, let me suggest that the structure of revelation helps. At the start of this talk, I mentioned that there are two last battles. And the reason why they are last battles is because they draw from the same Old Testament passage in Ezekiel chapters 39 and 38. And in Ezekiel, this is the last day battle before the end of the world comes. But what happens here in the book of Revelation? John, he, he, he stretches the, the last battle apart. Uh, from Instead of one last battle, there are two battles. And he puts the thousand years in between the two battles. He inserts a delay between the two battles. And structurally, I think we've seen this before in the book of Revelation. Multiple times, uh, it seems that the end of the world is meant to come. And then what happens? God, he, he stretches the end of the world. He extends it. He puts a pause. He puts a delay before the end of the world comes. And so if you see in the handout, there's a table over there. Um, there's inauguration, which is the start. And it looks like the end is going to come. But there's a pause or there's a delay in between. And then finally, there's consummation or the end at the end. And so my suggestion is chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. It falls in the middle. It falls in the delay. And throughout Revelation, we've seen that the delay is describing now, at the period that we live in. And so my suggestion is, well, the thousand years it describes now. And then the question is, well, in what way does it describe now? But I think the two options, both are possible. Well, firstly, it could be now as in it's another view of the Christian life. There's some New Testament passages who describe Satan as being bound. I think about Mark chapter 3 and somewhere in, in Matthew as well. And in one sense, Christians, they're already reigning with Christ. Now, that's possible. But my preference is for the second option. Um, it's now as in Christians who already have died throughout history, but in one sense are already raised to this in-between place before the new creation comes. I call it paradise, call it the in-between place, call it the intermediate state uh, before the new creation comes. So the first resurrection is describing Christians who have died in the past but are already raised into paradise before the new creation comes. But what does that mean? For the seven churches, I think about Antipas, who we read about in chapter 2, who was a Martha um, in the city of Pergamum. And in one sense, he is already reigning now. But for us, think about past Christians. You have William Tyndale, Thomas Cranmer, John Wesley, C.S. Lewis, or your late grandpa, you know, who, who shared the gospel with you when you were a child, or your nana, who read Bible stories with you. And they are already reigning now. See, the point of the thousand years is to show that they don't have to wait for the end to reign, but they're already victorious now. Now you think about Jesus as he speaks to the robber who is beside him, and he says to him, truly I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. In one sense, that robber is reigning now, in this in-between time before the final new creation. And so the encouragement is that you don't have to wait. 
Uh, Jesus says to her bride, we are, I'm not going to wait for the, the new creation to come. Uh, she is going to reign now with me. So again, I ask at the start, is it worth joining in the war or is it worth following Jesus? And the answer is, is yes. Uh, you will reign with him. A friend of yours or your, your grandpa or grandparents who, or who trusted in Jesus, who shared the gospel with you, but who has passed on, in one sense, they are already reigning with Christ. Well, do you feel daunted by the call to join in the war? Uh, do you feel anxious for what it means for yourself and your children as you consider where society is going? Well, the last few chapters in this book of Revelation is words from Jesus to encourage you. He cares for you, his bride. He is your champion. He will crush those who trample on you. He will win. And he will elevate those who follow him to reign, even now. Well, there's going to be more encouragement over the next few weeks. And if you want more encouragement from, from Jesus, do come back. But as we close a final verse, chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Let me pray. But I praise you for this truth that we can see in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that this is not wishful thinking, but it is grounded on the historical death and resurrection of Jesus. That because he is the wider, rider on the white horse that comes with his robes that are stained with his blood, we know that he will come back um, and to vindicate those who follow him. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.